guys, welcome back to episode 93. Okay, guys, we're back again. Um, again, uh, you know, we... Our next guest, I we had a lot of fun with the whole podmatch.com thing because, you know, it really does sound like a dating app for podcasters. It's kind of silly, the name, but it works. Um, but, you know, because the irony is a lot of the people that you meet on there, you don't really match with. You just find them and say hello. So there's that. Um, but this person I actually did match with. And, um, you know, so she... She and I had a conversation the other day, and, and you know it was a really uh, intimate conversation. Really nice to just talk to somebody who's been through a lot, and um, you know she's a little out there. She has a very you know she's very kind of vulgar how she puts it, but that's kind of how I am. And <laughs> it may rub people the wrong way, but so be it. Um, but it's it's just honesty, and it just shows you what people can overcome, and so on. Uh, so why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself? All right. Well, um, I'm Lindsay. Um, I currently live in a little town in Nebraska um, called Kearney. Um, but I moved here from Colorado Springs about a year and a half ago um, with a family, hoping that I could get away from like bad stuff in Colorado Springs. Um, thought moving's a solution, but it's not. Um, yeah, <laughs> yes, um, I'm a runner. I, I've always started to notice that I, I just always think if I can run away from everything or move from a house that has bad memories like that, you know, the problems will be fixed. But, um, yeah, that is not the case. The, the fun part is that you get to, you have to face yourself. Um, right. you know, um, so my, and I hate this word because I just have heard it so much, but my journey <laughs> of life, <laughs> yeah, there's sounds, no other word. It sounds <laughs> pretty, but it, it's always, it's not as pretty as the word sounds. It's There's just no other word except for journey. So, um, or experience, I guess. Um, yeah. So, um, age so I don't have to keep doing the math for people and stuff. Um, I'll be 40 in a couple of weeks. So um, my journey of life started, um, you know, I, I have two great parents. Um, like you, we were talking, I have a mother who's a nurse and a dad who's a senior software engineer. So I come from a, a really uh, good family. Um, but at six, and this was, I believe, 1987. Um, I know the guy got convicted in 89, but... Uh, me, my brother and some other boys were, you know, molested by a neighbor, um, a, a kid we played with, it was his uncle. Right. And so, um, I actually, you know, got to go through the fun part of watching somebody get convicted as a child and, and having detectives, um, uh, pull us out of, pull me out of kindergarten, you know, and asking very vulgar questions. Um, till this day, I can't say explicit questions, or I can't say explicit, uh, I guess, sexual terms right. just because of what, um, I think it kind of did to my brain. Um, so I'm still like a child when, when, 
you know, people in my life have said vulgar comments to me or whatever. I just kind of clam up. But um, yeah, like we were talking about the other day, like you really don't know how much something messes you up until yes. you get old enough to kind of realize what all that stuff means. And then you're like, oh, shit, I'm pretty messed up. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, now finding out more about what happens through people who've had all these trauma it literally does something to the brain. They've done like scans on the brain. And if you've had like tons of trauma, it's it literally even worse than, you know, drugs itself, I guess. So it takes a lot longer to heal if people even do end up healing from it. So it's, um, pretty, pretty interesting. I wish I would have got this information a long time ago, but, um, it's all right. So, um, being the ages of like between zero and seven, they say if you had any sort of trauma, you know, your cognitive uh, part of your brain, uh, like I should have been able to experience things, you know, so it kind of stopped my brain process from whatever I was just supposed to naturally experience through like my brain expanding or whatever. So, um, and I guess children that are seven and above that go through some hard times have a, an easier time, you know, healing, I guess. Right. So, when you, when um, you got in trouble, was did you guys, you and your brother and all the other kids, like, did they speak up, or was it he just? Yeah. Got, so, uh, yeah. No. So what happened is, um, one kid started giving. I guess his dad knew something was going on. He finally kind of said, "Hey, this is going on." Uh, this, you know, that he was being abused or whatever. And the next thing you know, um, detectives get involved and stuff like that. You know. I was the only female. I was the only female. I feel like he had it out for little boys. Um, unfortunately, like what happens with this is not, they call it grooming. So all these other little boys ended up molesting me. And it's just, it's just a sick, it's nobody's, it's not the children's fault. You know, it's just this poison that somebody did and you do it to kids and they don't know what they're experiencing. Cause now we tell children, like, I don't know about, well, I guess everybody else, but I have kids of my own and I, my God, I was on PTSD mode thinking everybody is going to snatch up my kid, abuse them and everybody's a predator. And so I really emphasized to them when they got a little bit more older that if this ever happens, please let me know is nothing wrong with, you know, like, but in the eighties and I think even before the eighties, it's like a hush hush thing, you know? So when, your child that's molested and you don't even know what those organs are for, you know, like you don't, you know, somebody's doing something bad to you yeah. and it just, it is a total messed up process in the brain. And not only that, the, you know, I remember the guy telling us, telling me, I'm sorry, telling me that, um, if I told anybody he killed my parents, um, this guy, uh, came to our school and said he was like our uncle there to pick us up. He was going to kidnap us. So, like, I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. And um, my mother, who's a natural caretaker by, my God, by trade, she's a nurse, right? My brother gave a lot of symptoms of, like, germophobia, started washing his hands a lot and stuff like that. So, you know, I saw a lot of chaos going on on the family, and I saw them emphasizing on my brother. So I kind of shut down my whole self, I guess. And always said, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Because I did not want to tell people, 
hey, dad, when you give me a hug, it makes me cringe. I don't like to be touched. You know, that's what happened to me um, with my trauma. I did not want to be touched. And I'm still very awkward about that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but so, you know, we had to go to the courtroom. I remember the uh, molester turning around uh, saying he's sorry that he was molested as a child. Um, that is hard to process as a child because in your head, that was somebody that was supposedly a, a distorted friend, you know, like he was a, an adult. You're supposed to trust them. And now I must be a bad person. I, you know, this is where guilt and shame just comes and just messes everything up for you. I must be a bad person because this guy's in going to jail and, and it must be something I did. And, and, and so anyways, it kind of well, go also, on to life. He gets, uh-huh, I mean, well, also, I mean, even when he tells you that, like, it happened to him, there's, I'm sure, I mean, again, maybe now, later in life, like, you hear that, and it, it's it's how the cycle just, like, continues, and how yeah. we don't do enough yep. research, and how we don't, like, try to get these people before they do the ultimate thing, because when you yeah. break it down, like, there's kids that are being molested by their parents right now, and when they grow up, what do you anticipate them on being? probably the exact same thing and and it's unfortunate because there's people that really just went through horrible atrocities in their house and then all they know is to just kind of pass it on do the same thing and um yeah yeah. well and now they're finding with studies that this i don't know if the word disease um once they have this problem or fetish with children or people that are sexual predators, it's not going away. They're not curing it. Um, but so kind of fast forward into life, my, my brother became really, um, really was, we were, I mean, he was a really good, super smart and stuff, but all of a sudden started acting out, got into drugs, started changing the way he dressed, you know, and, um, became, the primary focus of the family, you know, because of his acting out. And so there's me in the background, right? Who's just like, okay, I'll listen. I'll be good. I'll be quiet. I'll do what you want. I don't want any more chaos going on, you know? And so I stuffed all my emotions down. And, um, you know, I remember even trying to be like my brother. Um, okay, I'll, I'll start dressing all crazy and stuff. And I definitely didn't get the same attention. It was like worse for me, you know, but at, I'll never forget it. Like, um, I want to say, cause we lived in California cause we moved, um, this happened in Colorado Springs, but we moved to California, you know? And, uh, I remember, I want to say I was 10 or 11. Right. Um, I remember I'd watched like some movie where a, a lady had cut her wrist and for some reason dawned on me that, that I should do that. And, um, so I took like a razor blade, like a shaving razor blade and cut myself and was like, I, I didn't even know what I was doing, but I guess I kind of did, you know, there's something so shoved down inside me, like just so much, emotions and I didn't know how to get them out. And, um, my mother had put us, and I've been in therapy for my God, I might as well be a therapist. I swear to God. But, um, my generation, like, you know, in the nineties, they were, 
pill pushing. <laughs> oh, you had childhood trauma. You had this. Take a Prozac. Take a Paxil. Take an Effexor. Right. You know, it'll it'll go away. It'll go away. That's what I remember as being young. Like, okay, take these pills. So guess what I did? I tried to overdose on them at 12. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I remember my mom giving me Icapac syrup, which will make you vomit stuff back up, you know? And then, um, you know, my family just brushed it under the rug, I guess. Because um, I don't know, you know, nobody's prepped for that in the parenting manual that they were never given from the start, you know? Right. What to do if this happens? What to do if that happens? Well, and um, We just didn't have a lot of information on what mental health and no. PTSD and all that. Like, like I said, PTSD is always something that's always been equated to, you know, people coming back from the war. And yeah, it's way more than that. And then, you know, like nowadays yeah. we have all the information. It's just we don't address it enough. We don't put it out there. Well, and back back then it wasn't even PTSD. It was manic depressive. They don't even use that term anymore. It's a bipolar, you know. Yeah. And and so, um, you know, I'm glad to have the label of PTSD now, you know, especially for the um, a lot of those Vietnam veterans and stuff, you know, a veteran too. But um, so, yeah, I get back to like, you know, being in, I think, like, sixth grade, uh, third, fifth, sixth grade, um, sorry, third, fourth, I missed, I missed my numbers, or third um, to sixth grade, I'm, you know, now becoming an adolescent, and um, I didn't feel, I felt so out of place, like, I never felt like I belonged here, I guess, and I don't know if that's from maybe I'm not from here who knows but you know like I always contemplated looking out in the stars like so that's my home out there so it's contemplating the universe always believing that animals talk like everything's alive you know just you know I don't know that spirituality or psychological stuff you know but I Never had a lot of friends, um, probably due to me not having great trust with people, but um, never found, like, my group. Uh, you know, when you when you get into that, like, kind of um, middle school, high school era, you know, you, you're trying to find a belonging, right? And I remember there was this group of, you know, the cheerleaders and all that, Um they were so into nothing. Like it was just like clothes and what did your dad do and stuff like that. And that was not my interest. And so I fit in with the, I was a skater chick. Okay. My kids also emo, mm. but skater, little punk rocker chick, because that, those personalities were kind of in a sense, I'll put it the nice way. They were, they were the ones who'd been through issues, who'd been damaged or, or whatever. And they understood pain. Right. And so that's where I felt like my belonging was. So I got into um, they were kind of like the outcast, and yes, it wasn't, and that's, they weren't I guess, nerds. They were just like yeah, they were this group of people that were kind of a little dark and they thought different. Uh, the culture's yes, kind of shifting and they now. Didn't, it's not like yeah, yes, they're super brilliant. Like I, I mean, I'm very intelligent. Uh, you know, and that group of people was highly intelligent. Just just dress different. Really, that's all there was to it. And thought about things that I think are more important, in my opinion. And yeah. I still am into sporting all black outfits. So. <laughs> yeah, there's a documentary um, about like these, oh, it's called like something 13. It's with these three kids that like dressed like that. And they had like trench coats and everything. And then uh, they got arrested 
for a murder that they, I, well, I mean, they, they did a three-part documentary. I believe it was HBO. And uh-huh. and the first documentary, they get arrested. The second one, they're trying to, like, put it on someone else. And then the third one, they finally get out. But it, it was, ba- they, they pretty much judged them based off of how they looked because they wore, like, black makeup and they wore the trench coats. Uh, and they were just outcasts. They were different. They didn't really hang out with anyone else. Because we always got to single out some group, right? Because we got to, for some reason, just got to take the focus off of who we are and point it to somebody that doesn't look right. I love it. I love it. Jeez, yeah. no, I don't. Right. Freaking blah. Yeah. Um, so my brother was, I think, at 12, like, getting into the drug scene. He's the first person I smoked pot with. Um Now, I am one of those people who said, I will never do that. I will never do that. I swear to God, I'll never do that. And guess what? I hit all my marks. I did them all. So at 15, I remember um, there was a guy at a big old lump of cocaine. And that was one thing I said I'll never do. Because I remember being a kid and having like the dare officers come with their drug kit and like saying all the damage drugs do and all this and, you know. Um, so, hey, what the heck, you know, I was, uh, didn't like the way I felt inside. And I remember doing a line of Coke and honestly, I didn't feel nothing. It's like a drug where you don't really know what you're supposed to feel. Like with, at least with pot and other drugs, you, you kind of have this expectation of what you're supposed to feel, but like cocaine didn't do that. So what I do again? Oh, I'll do another one. And then the next day I'll do another one, you know? And then I felt this euphoria and in my brain back then, that is the heaven, the false heaven, let me put it that way. But to a 15 year old that took all my pain away. I felt like every pain inside me was gone and that I was like this whole new human being. And I was like, F your, your pills, you push down my throat this one works and I don't know why you call it illegal. Honestly, that was my opinion back then. And, um, God, I had saved up. I remember at that time I was 15 and I, you know, was, I worked and I saved up like two grand. My dad was all proud of me. And in a month, <laughs> in a month, that money was gone and addiction set in really fast to me. Because uh, I remember the other people, I was like, how come nobody else is looking on the carpet for this stuff, you know? So if anybody out there says, like, they were coke but they never looked for stuff on the carpet, I don't believe you. I'm sorry if you ever <laughs> accidentally touched popcorn ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Okay, because that stuff is powerful. Stuff is very powerful. And I chased that memory, really, of, like, the first high for 20-plus years off and on. Because it became a coping mechanism to me, right. you know. Well, one of the things that and, you, you said was, you know, earlier just about, you know, when you're going through that kind of trauma, and if people is kind of what put you in that trauma, which in most cases it is, yeah. Um, you tend to try to search for things that are unhuman, like in my case, I did it was like stuffed animals or actual yeah. real animals or just music or, you know, you start, you know, like you said, you're looking out to the stars, like you start trying to find all these alternate realities that are not yep. like the one that you're in because the one you're in is shitty and you yep. want, you know, that's why I think, you know, for me, I always got lost in shows and movies cause I was just like, yeah, I want this world to be real. Uh, and yes, like I got lost. I got lost in music and definitely like, especially those cool sci-fi movies, you right. know, right. where, yeah. where they, they were somewhere else. 
and that can probably play in part of my experience when we go down more down the path here. But, um, so, um, well, some of those drugs will take you to an altered dimension too. So, you know, yes, yes, they will. Um, and I mean, so my first, I was always searching, you know, we all have this, everybody will talk about this missing piece inside of them. So they fill it with what relationships they think they need to find the one in order to complete themselves. They fill it with drugs or sex or whatever it is for them. You know, I find that I think the missing piece is you that you need to fill. That's my point of view now on life. Um, and, um, but like my first experience with a relationship, right? So I remember getting, I was in middle school and got my first, you know, little, um, what do you call it? Like lovesick over some guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, this guy ended up dying. He fell off a cliff. He drank, he fell off a cliff and died. I was like, okay, so that was my first one. The second one where I had like a relationship with for like nine months in middle school, like my God, of course I thought I was going to marry him and this was going to go into the future. (laughs) I mean, I remember he had went to a rehab and told me that he wanted to break up because he found somebody else and she got pregnant. We were in middle school. That was my first breakup. And I'm like, Jesus, who else gets this much punishment in life? Like, I just Mm -hmm. wanted love from somebody, you know? So then you add on the feelings of rejection and that definitely remember we were talking about how your mind will sit there and just talk crap like you're not worth love. And and here's all the reasons why. Yeah, sometimes it stays quiet. And then when it it comes back, it comes back in the moments when you do not need that voice. And it has it has so, proof to back up what it wants to say. So from like, you know, from birth now to age fifteen, I have already seen I must be damaged goods. Um, other people are better than me. Um, I'm always to the sidelines because my parents thought I was like the winning child, so they kind of didn't pay a lot of attention to me because they thought I was just doing what I need to do, you know? And so there's all these false beliefs already festering up in my brain i'm not good enough i'm not worth enough i'm not this enough nobody loves me i'm not pretty enough definitely living in california i fell in self-esteem i wasn't skinny enough because back then you your ribs needed to show unless you to be pretty you know and that still is damaging to me but um you know so then we go on to uh 18 you know, and I got my first like uh, business job and was really proud, you know. Um, oh, also back up, like in the cocaine world, I, I remember seeing my friend's parents, they were executives doing coke and stuff. And I'm like, this is a life I want to live. These people have money and they do drugs, you know, like it was enticing to me. Like, that's what I want to be when I grow up, successful and loaded with drugs and money and dope. Well, cocaine is they seem considered happy. more of like a rich person drug because it's more expensive yeah. to attain. Yeah, but then, yeah, you just have to work for it to, you know, lose everything. It just comes to nothing in the end. But, um, so at 18, um, I worked, it was Blockbuster. They don't even have Blockbuster anymore, but they down in one Texas. Left. There's one in the world. What? I believe it's okay. in Michigan because that's, that's the original one. And oh. the last time I checked, which was like a year ago, it's still there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Well, so I was working like, you know, at a temp company and I was just super excited because I was out of the world of retail, you know, 
and um, so we had they had a little Christmas party where I actually got to dress up and just felt so awesome. Like, oh my god, I'm a part of something. Like, I'm a big person, mm. and um, went with a coworker of mine, and then of course, you know, was drinking, and then two people um, said they had cocaine. And I went with them to only get sexually assaulted, right? Mm-hmm. And um, remember talking to my mom and telling her what happened, and took me to the she took me to the the ER, you know, report all this and do all this. Well, this is the generation where they told you, hey, if you did drugs, then it was your fault. Mm-hmm. That's that's what they said. That's what the police said to me. I was eighteen. I'll never forget the 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 um my god i mean pretty much that i was a, a all i heard you know was my fault what um you asked for it kind of words like that and i remember uh, taking a straight blade uh, to my to my wrist and this is where i still have scars there you know i hit them pretty good it just um you know so you know there's another trauma to pack on to the other trauma to the other trauma and um like I told you when we had talked um you know my parents I I was a perfectionist I had to be the perfect child because my brother was the opposite so I had so much pressure to be uh be the one that went to college and and succeed and um I did go to college I did go to college I have a bachelor's degree um and human resources management is not what my dreams were, but it's what my parents wanted. And I thought after that came a white picket fence and a family. And like we said, a dog and greatness. And hey, your life is built because you've got a college degree now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, no. Um, God, I, I, I'm proud that I have a degree, but um, really that uh, job Statistics did not pay what it said it was supposed to. Um, the husband, um, you know, this is my second husband, um, you know, was, in my opinion, a, a decent person. But you'll find with people with trauma, we, we, we don't pick the greatest people. It's like we're trying to find the predator all over again, right. you know. You see, like, women, it, it, women who have been molested or you know especially they have daddy issues they tend to try to go mm-hmm. after older men who are usually really not good for yeah. them and they try well, to my, find that image in the my, father that they never got well my my first husband i was uh, at university of northern texas and um it was my neighbor all of a sudden my neighbor comes out and then i found out i was sober actually this time you know i had did a little drinking just part of the college lifestyle um but guess what? Found out. Oh my God! Here comes my demons again. He's a cocaine dealer, and so I thought it was love. You thought it, yeah. Thought it was love. I honestly did. I thought I loved him. I got pregnant. Um, you know, he was Italian, so we kind of had this shotgun marriage. You know, because when you start using drugs, you'll stop taking your pills. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you just don't care about any sort of medications you take or anything, and. Um, you know, that, that marriage didn't last too long. We do have a beautiful daughter out of it. So I can't ever wish that I never met anybody, even though I 
I've scanned through my brain thousands of times, you know, all these scenarios. But um, the second husband I met, I thought was better than the first one, right? Because he had a job. He had a legit job. He was in the military and he had his own car. And like, so I'm doing better than the last one, you know? Yeah. And, um, once again, like, I guess it's impulsivity, just being impulsive. Like, I mean, I couldn't tell you, like, that we knew each other for years and then got married. It was not like that. It was like, okay, you went on deployment, and when you come back, we're getting married. And then by the time you got back from deployment, I was knocked up. And, you know, like, it just sick the way my brain was so distorted. My, my you know, what I thought was, okay and normal or you know it's just it's sad it, it it really hurts me that i had experienced that kind of stuff but um did you did you feel like in, like in between these relationships or at some point in your life did you feel maybe like oh I've, i'm better I, i've recovered from all this like did you ever, did you ever like fool yourself I, into that I, I did, and it was usually in, I thought, like in a relationship, I thought that's what was going to save me. Somebody, I thought, I was always somebody's savior, so I thought a savior was going to come my way. And really, you know, like when I met my second husband, I wasn't using, I wasn't. Um, drinking is not my drug of choice, you know. Um, but I thought... A family, I think maybe, maybe, maybe that's what it is. A family and having what my parents have had, my grandparents have, that's what'll save me. Cause I do believe in family, right. but I thought if I can get that completeness, that is a family, right? Like, you know, two individuals and some children that yeah. somehow that'll break the, the pain away. Yeah. Cause but, it's, it's super but, unfair because we've been through so much trauma and mm-hmm. we essentially have to reboot and we have to work on ourselves, even though most of what happened to us isn't our fault and people did it to us, no. but we have to yep. work on ourselves. And, and so we're constantly rebooting and, and we're and just, you know, trying to rework and rewire everything. And you're just like, why am I doing this? Like, why, why, why do I need it? I didn't cause this. I didn't unplug everything. Um, but you start feeling like you did for some reason right, when life yeah, keeps going, you know, and it, and it's, it's so the, the guilt and the shame and, and just all of the negativity. Like I was, I mean, I lived for other people that was, and I think I hear that in your story a lot. I mean, just yeah. from the talking to you, like I lived, if that other person was pissed off then I was pissed off, if they were happy, I was happy. My life was in other people. And by making other people happy, that made me happy. But in reality, it didn't because I was just saying I'm not good enough to focus on my problems and I'm just shit. So I'm going to take care of everybody else. And, and it was taking the focus off myself. And somebody said a good phrase to me, how can you help people when you're bleeding profusely? And I was like, that's a good point. I don't know, but I've been trying for a long time. Because I'd be depleted. I'd be depleted after, you know, uh, shit hit the fan again from a relationship or whatever. I'd be sitting there wanting to take my life as usual, empty, alone, wondering what the hell, what did I do to deserve this? I was raised Catholic, so the um, unconditionally loving God with all the conditions, I already assumed hated me and deemed me 
not worthy of heaven, you know. Right. Well, you're essentially um, skipping a lot of steps. You're instead of really recovering and trying to work on yourself, you're just jumping into the next situation, and then when yeah. you fall, it's such it's a much bigger fall because now it's oh my you know, god, it's yes. part eight or nine or whatever this is, another disaster, <laughs> and you've never recovered from yes. the first seven. And so but you, just, you feel like you have. <laughs> right. Because again, you're trying to get lost in these other situations. You're hoping people are going to save you. You know, like Very good goals, point. I, I want to find a good woman in my life, but every time I go to find them, I find these just disasters of people. <laughs> and it's like right. and, and, and and that's when you start taking on yourself, like I guess I am the asshole. I'm the bad person. But it's just <laughs> right. I haven't worked on myself and I keep giving people chances because I'm actually kind hearted and I give people chances that don't deserve it. Um, because mm -hmm. you know, I want, you know, I, I feel like I don't want to judge people. I don't want to be shallow. I want to give people opportunities, but a lot of people don't deserve it. And then yeah. when I give them the opportunity and they obviously fail and then I, yeah. and then instead of just going like, Oh, TJ, you just clearly just took a step back and screwed up by giving this person a chance. No, I go, see, this is why I'm going to be alone forever. <laughs> and you just, I, it, it I, down. I know. And that's the mindset I get into now. I mean, so, um, so after my second marriage ended in shambles, um, so I used to work for Boeing and, oh, that's my dog. So I used to work for Boeing and that was the biggest accomplishment ever to my parents. My dad was so proud of me. Well, in my nice, marriage um my second marriage we got into a fight and because we got into a fight my husband at the time took our infant kid and started going to new york where he's from and like i mean technically it's like kidnapping right in his head it was logical or whatever but so i went on a cocaine binder i i went back to the only coping mechanism like i said it always resurfaced because that's the only coping mechanism that i knew from an early age is when sh when times get tough this seem it used to work, but it's weird is that it doesn't work. <laughs> right. With your drug problem, did you and, ever like address it in a way? Like, did you quit it cold turkey and just keep oh, going back, or did you go to rehab? Oh, or? so, so, uh, yeah. Sorry, I skipped out on that. No, so, um, during my adolescent time, um, my mother had put me. Oh, I've been in the psych hospitals, and those were kind of quote unquote a detox or a rehab for teenagers. You know, mm -hmm. I actually even went to a high school at the end of high school. Now people don't even, I didn't even know this exists for, for, uh, for teens that were addicts. So we got U aid and you know, we, it's kind of like homeschool, but in a structured setting. Right. And this was at like 17, 18. Right. So there's and, um, the basic courses and all that. But yeah, yeah. But yeah. you're getting more accountable for your drug addiction and they're, you know, going on more classes and stuff about addiction and, stuff like that that's where i remember meeting like one of my second relationships because he was a heroin addict and i was a cokehead so for, in my sick brain that could work and we stayed sober for nine months wow. we did we did but you know this is distorted thinking it's just you know it just once again it's like we always try to think we'll be complete with somebody else and I can't really tell you if that's a true statement or not I mean because I haven't felt I haven't found that I haven't found that stable love that I I have given people in my opinion you know because I mean I've done things bad in relationships that I'll never do again but I feel like I give I give too much and then people take advantage of me yeah and, well, you're, you're and, a lot and like me I've always said that I'm, I'm a lonely loner
where I, I don't want to be alone, but it, the, the damage that has been caused by other people, it, it makes me want to avoid any kind of contact and so <laughs> yeah. stay to myself. But then, then that's when I'm alone is when the thoughts kick in and you know, like when I'm at yep. work and all that and I'm doing stuff like this, I'm fine. But when it, when I'm just yep. sitting here and I have really nothing to do, but watch a show or whatever, the thoughts kick in and I don't want to be alone. And, and then it's like, okay, let me go search for people and let's go, yep. let's go on dates that I probably shouldn't be on because these people are horrible. Um, yep. You already think of their intentions are bad. If you're like me. Yeah. And you're, and yeah, and, and they may not be, but you know, you're so used to one thing. Um, yep. but you can't go on autopilot. You can't go blind into something and just go, well, let's do this. Cause that's how you end up in the situations that you either ended up in or yep. ended up or some other people. It's, you know, yeah. It's, it's, well, yeah. I find it crazy. Maybe you'll relate to me is that I look at my patterns now because I'm really in this focus of, of internalizing everything I've been through. I'm on this healing mission right now. And it's so crazy. The partners that I picked, they were the exact opposite of what I morally stood for. No matter what trauma I had been in, right? I value love. I value family. I value these things. And I, and, and honesty, and I pick partners that lied, that stole, that, you know, were the exact opposite in a sense of me, but they put on a pretty good show, <laughs> you know, at the beginning, or at least I was blinded by all of that. Right. Cause when I look back, all those red flags, it's like a bad horror movie. Everything said, caution, don't go, do not go like your death, destruction. And I'm like, yeah, screw those signs. This one I can, I can deal. I can fix them. I can, I can, right. that's, I can that's, when, like, them. that's like when the movie kicks in and then there's a montage of all the bad things that came across to you. And it was like, oh, I just skipped yeah. all that. <laughs> it, was, it was right there the whole time. It's so crazy how you're blinded when it comes. Love is, is a drug love or that lust. Maybe I should say is a drug in itself where you literally withdraw from it. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you with someone, even if you can't stand them at the end, it still is suffering after they leave and you lose weight and, and you go into depression and loneliness. I mean, it's withdrawal from a human being. I mean, it's just strong. I mean, this is with the motive to kill and to do bad things, uh, you know, yeah. that happens as a result of love, but also great things happen as a result of love. So, yeah. you know, and so it's a balance a there. Too, you chase it. And even if you had it for five it, minutes in your relationship where it's like, you know, maybe the birth of your daughter and you mm -hmm. guys looked at each other and it was like, ah, and that moment it was like, oh, I want that again. And even though it wasn't yeah. really much of a real love, it's just, you're, yeah. you know, whatever there, you have bits and pieces where you like each other and you know, whatever. And then, you know, so you want that again, even though it was for five minutes or, you know, whatever a month, yeah. you're chasing that one thing and you're, you'll, you'll do anything to get it kind of like cocaine and all the other things that you've chased. Yeah. You, it, it love is, it, love can be that way. Um, you well, know. with, with my, with my second marriage, like I was really like, I'm going to give 200% for this one. Like, you know, no doubt about it. Like going full fledged, nothing's going to break this marriage. I'm going to do it perfect. And I was in my late twenties at this time. And I remember this is where I learned the whole term fighting fire with fire already thinking, I remember there's pretty sure he was talking to other girls. This is when Facebook came out and there's kind of MySpace and then Facebook. And this is where I saw deceit and him talking, you know, right. this is why I have a, a thing. I, I don't really care for social media because it left some scars on my conscience and ego and, and stuff like that. But 
um, that's where I'm like, okay, if you cheated, then I'm going to go cheat because by the time that I find out you cheat, I've got five cheats on you, you know? And, and that's an experience I learned. I will never do it to anybody again. You never win when you fight fire with fire. You just get burned in the end. And so, um, well, and you're actually doing up, more damage to yourself because you're going against everything you stand for. So all you're doing yeah. is hurting yourself internally. And yes. even if you say, hey, man, I slept with this person, he's going to be like, yeah, mm-hmm. so what do I – like, he didn't really love you in the first place. He didn't care much about yeah. you. You really did love that person. And now yeah. you're doing the, you know, the ultimate thing that you never thought you would actually succumb to, and you did it. And now it's like now you hate yourself more. And he just gets yeah. away scot-free like, oh, well, I guess it's over. Yep. I mean, both my first husband – well, and even the third one. But um, even those ones, like – I was together with the first one for a few years. And when we got divorced, two seconds later, he, I like a week later, he's with his ex-girlfriend and then he has nothing to do with our daughter and then impregnates her and now, and then has a whole family, you know, second husband, 10 year marriage. When we split up two seconds later, he's with somebody else and then has a, another child, you know? And it's like, damn, I am, such a crappy person that these people didn't care one ounce about me. Yeah. There's nothing worse that happens because then you you start to see all your exes happy and then you're not. Yeah. It's like, well, I must be the problem because they're happy and someone else accepted them. They loved them. And yeah, I I know he beat me or I know he cheated or he did all these things, but yeah, I probably should have loved them more. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you're going on these ridiculous psychological, uh, by this point, I am just like, oh my God, I just wanted to know the existence of anything. Right. Like, why the hell does, does, am I existing? Why the hell am I here? Like, this is not fun, you know? Like, um, I joined the military in um, 2010, um, honestly, to escape once again. I wanted to learn strength. Because I had none. And I'd already worked corporate world and I went in an E4, you know, and everybody's proud of me and, you know, great. Well, so this is what happens to me, right? So uh, my unit was getting deployed. I didn't end up getting to go with them, which is a total, uh, once again, I hate myself for that, you know, because I stopped taking a medication and wasn't cleared to go. And I missed out on that experience. So I must be a screw up somewhere. That's the thoughts that used to be in my head. But um, so our unit was deploying to Iraq. And so we went to NTC down in California in training. And while we are there, right, um, I get a call from my brother saying the molester who molested us in 89 got out of prison because a lot of people don't know this. Sex offender laws changed in like 92 to 94. Okay. And so... The guy that molested us and the other children was sentenced to 22 years. Now, I'm a full-grown adult. I think about 30 um, when this happened, because I'm trying to put together math. I was 28 when I joined the military, so maybe about 30 or hitting 30. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine, like, all the therapy you've been through, all the crap, and, like, the one person you blamed all your crap for, all your shitty relationships, all your chaos... Um, got out of prison and he went to go work for a youth camp and I don't, it's not the guy's fault a lot of people can find God in jail, I don't I don't dispute that at all, but they let him go apparently, 
Um, so anyway, so we went to work for a youth camp, and what did he do? Oh my god, he, um, all these other boys, and then one convenient girl he molested, and they wanted us to retestify. Now we didn't end up having to retestify as adults, but this is you know the world of the internet. So I typed in his name, read all the articles, and man, this is when you realize what PTSD is. I was a child again, like in, that's what it felt like. I was this little girl again, like just realizing I thought I healed from this. I thought because I went to therapy and took these pills, I thought I was fine. I thought I was over this. I thought I'd grown. No, that was, all I kept thinking about is all those children, what they're going to experience, their insecurities, their bad relationship, domestic violence, choosing abusive people, getting into drug addiction, being overly sexually active or not wanting sex at all or touch, you know, yeah. that's what killed me is that how one person could spread a poison like that. And so now he's in for life, right? And, um, but that stuff, um, so guess what, in, in the military, um, I was stationed in El Paso, Texas, wasn't far from the border of Mexico. So, hey, guess what we run to when times get tough? We run to drugs. So I got a hot UA and got, um, well, general or honorable um, discharge from the military. But I wrote like a 10-page thesis to the post commander. Like, what would you do? I know what I did. I know what I did was wrong. What's messed up is if I drank alcohol, I wouldn't have been kicked out of the military. But because I, I had positive cocaine, you kicked me out. Now, that's biased in my opinion. But, hey, whatever. You know, I love the whole stigma of alcohol is fine because it's legal when I honestly think alcohol is one of the worst things in the world. Why? Because, you know, my next, uh, next, next trauma um the guy was highly intoxicated. I watched my uncle die of um, 45 of, um, he was an alcoholic my whole life. Um, and uh, I remember him being in a nursing home at 45 and he was a correctional office officer. I remember him pumping his kidneys and liver, or, yeah, kidneys and liver, and highlighter yellow. I couldn't believe a human being could be highlighter yellow. Oh my God. And, um, he died not too long after, you know, that, like a few weeks, it looked like the most painful death in the world, you know? Um, were you like, at some point, did you just get like desensitized to all this stuff? Like you see that, can you, did you, you know, emotion for him and what he was going through at that time? My uncle yeah. or yeah. Yeah. When he, when he was dying, you know, like, um, so in this time of my life, because I've battled off and on with addiction, I can't tell you, I just straight just kept using, you know, it would just come up because that's my only coping mechanism. So I'd be sober and then it'd come up. I'd find a reason to run, you know, and relationships or whatever. Um, I remember looking at, at him and telling him, I understand. I now understand what you're going through. Um, now, at this time, I had um, picked up a new habit, uh, um, and that was that was pain pills. That was pain pills. Um, that kind of started actually before the military, and then um, after the military, it turned into heroin. You know, so I changed substances, even trying to get. I, I don't know, and I've heard a lot of people who have, are really honest with their addictions. They've done this. You know, like, 
um, I wasn't desensitized to him, but I was desensitized to a lot of things. Like if you took me to a funeral, like I don't cry probably because my concept of death is like, that's not them anyways. And that's not who they are. And they're so lucky to be out of this fucking place, honestly. Right. You know, um, so this is 2014. Um, so another failed marriage, another kid who doesn't have a father who, who just disappears and has another family. Right. So 2014, I remember like sitting in my house and literally hearing the sound of silence. And if you've ever been in that situation to anybody, silence does have a sound (laughs) and you don't want to hear it. It's absolutely, um, and the heart can literally break, break to the point where people die. I felt my body giving up. I have, I I couldn't be a parent. I, I mentally just wasn't, felt like I had nothing to give, nothing to offer. No one ever wanted to love me, be with me. I couldn't pick the right people. I couldn't make anybody happy. Going to college wasn't good enough. The people I chose wasn't good enough. So therefore, what? I'm just not good enough, you know? Um, And when I went to see my uncle, um, I know I was, was, yeah, I had been uh, maybe a few weeks, sober because I had been like to a treatment center and stuff like that and um, after seeing him I convinced my parents because I moved back in with them um, usually it happens with after divorces you move back with your parents for some reason or split up um, convinced my parents that I was going to go out and I was going to I just need to pick up my medication which was the truth but I ended up taking a side street to you know relapse because that was a justification. See my uncle like that was a justification to run away. Mm-hmm. And um, during this time frame, I had um, came across gang members. And um, so this person that I knew was a crip leader. Not that I care about who I have any, I, I, I'm not, I don't care about gangs. I'm sorry. Um, I don't care their status, but this is when he decided to very badly violate me and make all the other guys come in and violate me. And, um, that's when I just recently kind of worked through. Um, but when I found out that this guy was a known predator on the streets, right? Mm -hmm. This guy has been sexually assaulting women for a very, very long time. I didn't know who was sicker the world that knew about it. Cause if you mentioned his name, they're like, Oh no, no. Yeah. He's a, he's a, you know, a rapist or whatever. And I was like, Oh, that's great. That's great that you all know this. And you guys are so cool in the gang that you, nobody does anything. Like this is a sick world. Well, and, um, it has to do with obviously power, but also fear. Um, well, yeah, but he's preying on what women that, we're using drugs um, because, right. hey, who's going to tell? They're not going to tell because they ain't worth shit, right? Right. And they probably, probably overdosed and, you know, and yeah. not One girl died. Place. One girl died and they know it's about from him. Now, it doesn't matter. He's in prison now. But, you know, so after that assault happened, I remember um, 
I kept thinking, I need to get these pills. I, I need to get these this rape kit pills. Um, I don't know what these guys had. Like, um, telling you my background, I'm not very sexually active like that. So um, I thought I was, like, bleeding perfume. I mean, so I sat in the ER parking lot, didn't know what to do. I called the VA crisis line and said, I'm not trying to kill myself, but, like, um, just been very violated, you know, and... Um, my parents were texting me nasty stuff because I didn't come home and I had nobody. I sat in an ER parking lot by myself and they called somebody out from a domestic violence place that walked in with me to the hospital to find out it was the wrong hospital. There's only one hospital that did all that stuff. And I'm like, so you're telling me now I need to wait between this very horrific trauma and because there's only two forensic nurses and like, Okay, so cool. I'll um. Well, that and you're I'll probably keeping, you're trying to keep it hush hush, and now the more people are going to know about it because now you have to go to another hospital and tell yeah the story all so, over again. So, um, I ended up my parents shut off my phone. They were that pissed off at me because I, I at this point they were like, "We're done with you. You know, we can't trust you." Like, blah blah, you know, just nasty stuff. And I just did that disassociation right there. I just, man, the world was non-existent. It felt like nothing. It felt such it, just a weirdness of right. PTSD. Just disconnected. Just well, the I mean, world was not existent. Well, at a mm-hmm. time where you're most vulnerable and you actually need somebody to just kind of be there for you and just love you and and the people that you probably consider that love you on the highest level are kind of being dismissed and maybe not dismissed well they probably don't know what's going on but still they didn't they didn't they didn't and but in that moment i felt this is what ran through my head all these years that i have been kind and taking care of others and i sit in a parking lot by myself because nobody gives a shit about me right. you know that shit hurts to have a stranger have to come out to walk with me into a hospital. And so like I went to, um, uh, my best friend's house, um, her husband who was not a great person either. We were both like on the same cycle of life with men. Um, I said, can you get, um, can you get my friend? Um, I was like, like she's sleeping. He did not like me at all. And, um, I was like, can you tell her friend's been really badly assaulted and, and I just need her to take me to the hospital because I was in no mind frame to even drive anymore at this point. I didn't even sleep, right? And this is the day I was trying to find heroin and I could not find it. It's like for some divine reason, I was not meant to find it because what was I was going to kill myself on it. I was aimed to kill. So, because um, at this point, F life, honestly, that was my motto there's nothing to live for and it sucks that people are like but you have kids my kids are better off without me because i i I just can't find them happiness i can't find you know like they're better off with my parents so don't give me that you know um you probably feel super unlucky and anything that's near you is probably going to suffer with you so, yeah, like keep, if you give them to me, I'm just going to shelter them away from society because I think everybody's going to hurt them. Right. You know, so um, my friend is driving me. Uh, finally, actually, what's sad is I um, ended up at my therapist's office, just walked in there, and I said I didn't know where else to go. I was the only person that I had, and 
she ended up calling my parents and said, your daughter, actually, this is what happened to her. Um, and then my mom felt really, you know, horrific. She didn't know it wasn't her fault. Um, and so, um, she turned back my phone, my, on my, she turned my phone back on. And so, um, my friend, my friend Sherry comes and gets me and, um, we're heading to the hospital. And, uh, I remember her getting a call and her husband, um, she starts turning around the car. Like instead of going to the hospital, she starts, you know, turning around. I said, what are you doing? She said, well, um, Kenny's mad because I didn't tell him goodbye. We were both in these bad relationships. Okay. And, um, I was like, Sherry, your best friend got raped. Not by one. I don't get one. I get multiple people. And you're turning around this fucking car because he's mad. He didn't say goodbye. And so I looked behind me. We're driving, right? I looked behind me to see if there's cars behind me. And I opened the door. I said, fuck you and fuck everybody else in this world. And I bolted out the car as we were moving. Now, this is like, if I, I do have a head injury from that. Um, it was really bizarre. Like, I um, didn't know I busted my skull, right? I, I just, like, came to, and all of a sudden, ambulance are coming and stuff. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I was not trying to take my life. I had a really bad day. I just need to get to the hospital. I'm so sorry. Because there's me. I'm so sorry. It must be my fault. I'm so sorry I had to inconvenience your day. And um, the, the the paramedics were, like, really nice to me, right? Yeah. And um, I was like, why are they being so nice to me? I didn't, I didn't understand. Because, like, I, in my eyes, I don't even remember. I remember opening the door, and that's about it. And they're like, it's okay, it's okay. And then they put me in a neck brace. I'm like, why did they put me in a neck brace, you know? And then I get into the hospital, into, like, this big old, like, you know, operating room. And I said, I need to call my mom. I need to call my mom. And they said, okay, okay. And um, so I call my mom. My mom's freaked out. She goes, Lindsay, I've been calling every hospital. Uh, you're, I didn't know you were under Jane Doe. Uh, you know, she goes, I thought you were dead. And I'm like, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I'm fine. I'm always fine. Right? It's always my answer. I'm good. I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm strong. <laughs> I'm strong. I'm the strong one. I can do this. And so this doctor gets on the phone and he goes, hi, ma'am. This is the neurologist. I'm like, why am I with a neurologist? You know, he goes, your daughter jumped from a moving vehicle. She's been, we know that something, we know that something really bad happened to her, for sexual assault. Um, he said, she's got bleeding in the brain and we're going to do some more tests to make sure we don't have to do surgery or if we, you know, whatever, because this is the beginning part. And I remember him saying to give me a shot, like a fentanyl. And I said, no, you can't do that. I'm a heroin addict. And he goes, I didn't ask. And I said, but you can't because I'm just a nothing, you know? <laughs> you can't give me that. I'm just, just a nobody. I'm just a, a stupid person. And um, would you consider that like day they, to be like your, like the bottom of all the bottoms? Um, as far as like mentally and emotionally, for the, felt for yes, um, yes. I mean, I, I do hit another bottom after that. Um, you, you think that's the bottom, but these bottoms actually build me up at the end of the story right. and um yeah just spoiler alert guys it so, does get a little better <laughs> <laughs> it does it does <laughs> it does 
Um, now, um, the cops came and asked if I wanted to report this and all that. And I'm like, no, he's a gang member. I'm not going to do that. Cause I was feared, you know, I thought he's going to kill me if I do that. Can't do that. <laughs> I mean, they did all the DNA stuff and all these pills. I remember trying to brush my hair and I'm like that crap hurt. I didn't know I had like, I have no memory of hitting the curb of the concrete, you know, <laughs> Even to this day? and no, I don't. My friend, my friend, and she's still my best friend. She says, I thought you were dead. She goes, you look dead. And I'm like, I don't remember any of that. So I don't know if that's the first near death. I mean, cause I couldn't tell you it went anywhere, but something changed. Mm-hmm. Um, now for a year, I now I remember being in the hospital and I was like, I can't taste or smell anything. And the, the doctor said, well, these, some of these pills, you know, because they give you like an anti-HIV and it, it just all these hardcore pills um, after a sexual assault. Like, he goes, sometimes those pills can cause that effect. Well, come to find out that when you hit the right place in the back of your head where the sensors are, you're like sensors for smell and taste. Whew, yeah. So I lost my taste of smell and um, and taste, you know, just I anything I ate tasted nothing, nothing. There's nothing, no smells, no taste. And, and I learned that, that you, you learn through these experiences that you take so much for granted sometimes, like just by being able to smell something or taste something, you know, like for you seeing, you know, yeah. like you don't know until you lose it. Now, luckily about a year later, I, I remember the first day I, I smelt like these fabric softener. My mom was like doing laundry and I was like in heaven. I was like, I think it's going to come back. Right. You could have um, smelled cat shit. It wouldn't have mattered. It was just the fact that no. you smelled something at all. Obviously. Because I'll tell you, you, you eat on memory. Like every food that I ever loved, like ice creams or anything, tasted like garbage. And everything actually natural tasted good to me. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. Mm. And um, so... Due to that event, don't think I stayed sober for any means because I was every justification of to keep on going and keep on killing myself until I get there, until I succeed, you know? I mean, I was into such a state of how come I can't exit this world? Why can't I die right? Like, why do I screw up that bad that I can't even kill myself, right? You know, that is the stuff that ran through my brain. Like, God don't even want to open the doors up there. Before you finish all this, uh, how is your brother doing? Like, even now and and at this point in time? Because I know you said he was doing really bad. He was acting out and all that. Yeah, he's calmed down a lot. Um, He still, he picks chaotic relationships like, you know, like I have. Um, He's toned down a lot. He's got his own kind of company. Um, You know, unfortunately, these events that happen when your children really pulled us apart. I never really had a brother, even though I had a brother. So it's always been me fighting the world against <laughs> just me. Right. I've never had anybody protect me. It, you know, it, it sucks. And now, you know, now that we're a little older, he, um, he, I remember him telling me, he goes, I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't there for you. And it really hurts him, you know. But um, we don't talk a lot or anything. But for the most part, like, he, he he's better, you know. Still yeah. drinks and smokes pot, but, like, yeah, it's not hey, bad. he's doing okay in my book, you know. <laughs> right. I just wanted to see where you know, because you, you he kind of started off a lot worse than you, but you end up with probably the harsher story. So, uh, yeah, 
Okay. Yeah, and because um, he was in and out of jails and adolescent and all that. Now, I, I I hadn't been at that point until I was 33 after that sexual assault. You know, it is actually when I went to treatment centers. And um, when I went to treatment centers um, after my second divorce, it's like, where do I find friends? And so, of course, natural my natural instinct is all these people it's called a trauma bond. I've come to find out like, I'm like, these people, they get me. They understand me. We had nothing in common, but drug addiction. Now, when I look back at it, but I could save them all, right. Could save them all. These poor people were homeless, young girls prostituting themselves. And I was like, and they were such good people. I met them sober, you know? And so I came across the world of, um, different. I don't know if you want to classify them as different addicts. There, there are some like, I was blessed to have money, right? Uh, whether working or VA money. And there's some people in the drug world that have other means to get their drugs, which is more the criminal world. I'd never seen that side of addiction because I was kind of a closet user. Does that make sense? Right. And so uh, I didn't really hang around a lot of people. And this is my first experience with this. So I end up catching a, a felony charge in... Uh, the 2015, yeah, it's about 2015, you know, because I was hanging around people and uh, it doesn't matter what it was. I was hanging around the wrong people doing not so great things. And um, God, I I remember my dad had just got me a freaking apartment to get me on my feet, to get my life together. And two seconds later, I get a felony charge. They evict me from this apartment. My dad had to dish out all this money because he co-signed and his credit's like perfect. And he hated me for years. I swear to God, he hated me for years. And, um, he, uh, yeah. So uh, now I'm facing a felony charge and I was sitting in jail. They weren't even going to bond me out. My parents are like, we're going to let you sit. And I'm like, well, how come you bonded Kevin out all the time? Like, why are you harsher on me? It always felt like I got the harsher punishment because I was the, the child that was supposed to do all these great things, but I could never meet everybody's expectations. Like no matter what I did, like I just wanted to make everybody happy. That's all I ever wanted to do. By doing that, it made me completely unhappy because the life of a perfectionist <laughs> who yeah. is horrible, mm-hmm. horrible, horrible, horrible. Right. Yeah. And, um, so, uh, by the time I, you know, got my sentence and got on probation, I was absolutely defeated. And I remember going to check in with this probation officer and she was kind of rude with me. And I said, Lady, I'm just here to check in with you. Let me tell you how my week's been. I've been, you know, I went through a sexual assault, tried to kill myself. I don't want to live anymore. I'm just checking in because your society wants me to do this and wants me to do all this. And like I told her, like in a nutshell, a lot of my story. And I looked up, and this lady's eyes had tears in them. She said, "The world will be such a loss without you." She goes, "You're supposed to go on low-level probation." She goes, "I'm not going to let you die." Hmm. And, um, she says, what can I do to help you? And that was the like only human being in this moment that I was like, I don't even know you, you're a PO and you want to help me? Right. Like, give me a break. Well, but that's one of the things we talked the only- about, uh, the other night where I said about there's people out there that go above and beyond and, you know, and I've said on here and to you, it's just about how 
you know, don't be the reason why someone wants to kill themselves or, or be the last reason because, you know, you're hanging on by a thread. You want to die and you're looking for every reason. Oh, I told her. Right. And she gave you a yep. reason to live. Um, and she, she did. And she, she did. And she didn't have to do that. Her job doesn't really entitle. Like, she, nah. she, she just can just go do her job and just say, okay, next, you know, go on to rehab, she, go do whatever you got to do. But she actually went out of her way to treat you like, you know, a human and someone that she cares And about. she was in my life as a PO just for a short period of time. And till this day, and when I moved from Colorado, when I still are, I said, you, you did save me. You know, it might have not saved me perfectly. and I didn't get cured and everything got all lottie dottie. My life was perfect since then. But her words, her words, she goes, she, I said, I said, don't tell me this bull. I, and I remember telling her, like, don't give me this bullshit talk of, of that my life is worth something. I said, you don't know me. I said, she goes, I have met a lot of people in my life and there are some scumbags. And she goes, and you're not one of them. And she goes, I'm not going to let you die. And I say, well, if you want to help me, I need to get to rehab. And she and I and she goes and and I said, and if I don't, if I don't get there, then you need to lock me up. You know, mm-hmm. and that was the truth because I know what I needed. But she was asking me, what do I need to do? You know, she wasn't telling me this is what you need to do. She said, what can I do to help you? You know, and um, right. She just looked through you, know, you this, looked past all your problems yeah. and just said, okay, what do you need? Yeah, didn't and judge, didn't um, care about what you've been through, and you know, whereas most people on the surface would look at you and go, like, she's damaged goods. What's what's the point? Yeah, here's another here's another felon for you, here's another junkie for you, or you know, what I'm saying like whatever, like just discard of them with the rest of the pack. Let's not kill the world, them all. The world's very close minded. I mean, even when you know, I've gone into the, like the Social Security building just to you know update whatever my documents and the whatever's going on and they a lot of them in there they look at you like oh you're just another person on disability you know sucking money off the government they don't look at you like yeah what you've been through and how you got this disability and all that. like so yep and that's on a different level but like with you like you know with them when it comes to drugs and all that like yeah they just throw you away and even like when you said you were younger when you know the second time you were molested and, and they just looked at you like you were a slut because you know, you're a yeah. young girl trying to get drugs, so you probably, you know, gave up sex to get yeah. it, and you're just saying yep. that now in hindsight. But it's like, you know, you don't really know yeah. what someone goes through. You don't, you know, emotionally and psychologically, and, and it's, you know, it's how damage, yeah. you know, you know, gets piled on, and so, yeah. So what's weird, and I don't know the medical term of it, um, when I did that, like, podcast with Jeff Marr, he said it, I, I swear to God, something reset in my brain from that head injury. Like, and I have read things about people who have got traumatic brain injuries and then all of a sudden they can play a piano or they, they're, something changes in them. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, like I said, I don't know the medical term for it. Um, something started changing. Like, I mean, it took about a year, but now I believe in something else, whether I politically say it, the, you know, God forbid if I say Krishna or Buddha or God, or if I don't say it right, somebody will get mad out there. You know, it doesn't matter what my beliefs are. Like what made me better is what I believe. And so it was really weird 
you know, when I came across that probation officer at the end of 2015 and I started noticing like, so like I had a dream play out like years ago, it made no sense. And it was like playing out in real life, like what they call deja vu, mm-hmm. like strange things were starting to happen. I started noticing like I was at the right place, right moment, right time. And that this existence is God. I swear God was going to give me to the last day of December and then I was going to start healing. Crab you not. So I didn't end up going to rehab and she put a warrant out for me and she was kind and you know, that's what our agreement was, right? And it was the last day of December and I got picked up for this warrant, you know. And um all these strange things started occurring. Um, I learned about synchronicities and now in any of these like spiritual awakenings or experiencing, you have to know like something has to crack inside of you, whether that be physically from a brain or, you know, something in somebody's storyline, you break, you have to break. Right. Right. And something, and this is my experience and I don't care what anybody has to say with it. Something, was present with me. I I experienced very supernatural things. Um, Looking into this head injury and stuff like that, these are possibilities that we're dealing with a rewiring of the brain. The brain is an immaculate thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and whether someone wants to say it's trauma, this or that, no, something changed. Like I, I was a different person. All of a sudden I was able to forgive my molester. I started thinking positive, like my mindset changed. I became the person that was kind of annoying that was so positive. I became the girl they called the holy roller. And then that's not that I believe in, I mean, bits and pieces of the Bible, okay? I believe in the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. But I became this whole other person and just... It was weird. I could even pick up on people like it was like I could see inside of them and see all of their traumas without even them saying anything to me. I I mean, uh, this is when I saw like weird extraterrestrial stuff. And that's not uncommon in Colorado Springs. And something was with me. Something was with me. Something was helping me. Something was telling me it's going to be okay right now um i i saw a lot of you know and it's so it's still hard to talk about just i guess because of judgment but i i did experience supernatural stuff and i'll tell you what if that shit didn't ever step into my life and i didn't experience or see what i i saw i don't at that point in my life, you had to show me the existence of some, something else in order to want to live anymore. So by all means, you know, I experienced some really bizarre stuff. And, um, you know, I actually stayed sober for a year and a half. Um, you know, I was on probation still. I, I um, then come across, you know, which was husband number three thought he was God, I really I thought he was the one too, you know. Um got pregnant, 
um, I had violated probation and, um, they had, um, we had astounded, it's called, you know, tried to run from probation at one time, but I ended up getting pregnant and got, you know, we got the warrant caught up with us and, um, they had offered me three years in prison, um, because I was pregnant, thought if I went out that I'd use when I was pregnant. I'm like, that's not true. I wouldn't. I, you know, I'd never do that to a baby and I really wouldn't. But in their eyes, I get it. They've seen a lot. Um, I didn't end up having to take a three year prison, uh, sentence where I'd have my baby in prison, but I ended up having, uh, you know, my probation officer at this time, which is a really great guy too. He went out of his way to find a program that would take me to have my baby in a treatment program because that is what the DA wanted. They wanted me to birth my baby in a structured environment. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. So I literally, it was like 30, I think I just turned 35, right? I'm pregnant. I mean, my, well, now my ex-husband found out when I, we got to jail cause he was on probation too. So yeah, it's a great pick. Um, hmm. that I was pregnant, you know, and we were all excited and stuff like that. Like, yeah, we're having a baby, you know? Um, but I literally had to, um, go to this. Uh, I had spent six months in County jail, which is absolutely just uh, horrible. And then went to another straight from there to a kind of locked up facility for women and children and, um, now in jail, huh, if you're pregnant, God forbid, they don't give you any prenatal care whatsoever. It's the crappiest ever. And, um, so I'd only, I didn't even have a sonogram that whole time I was pregnant, except when I got out. And, um, now my, my last husband at this, at this moment, he ended up, um, because he violated probation too, ended up going back to prison. Right. And, um, so I was out and I got a sonic, like my first sonogram. And when I went back and got the second one, I think I was almost, you know, due for the baby, but, um, the, the lady, the, I'm sorry, the doctor told me, um, that my baby was growth restricted. I had like 1% amniotic fluid and I needed to go have him. Like I had to go to the hospital right now. And, um, so I had a, you know, all my kids were C-sections, but I had to go have an emergency C-section at 34 weeks, give birth, stay in the hospital for three days and then come back and cart my baby around to groups and a structured setting and, you know, do all this stuff. And, at this point I had learned that all this trauma, like I'm just a strong person. I can overcome anything. Like I got used to it. It was nothing to me to carry my baggage and your baggage. And that's what I thought in my head. And so here I go again, thinking now I can create this family. I can create this, this family because, because he loves me and, um, we've been through hell and back. And, um, so, you know, move us forward here. Um, like I said, I stayed sober a year and a half. Um, but I'm oh, sorry. Let me let me scoot back there for a second. So why I am in that facility for mothers, you know, and just had gave birth to my son. Um, 
the DA calls me. Now it finally catches up that the guy that raped me, uh, CODIS, which is, if you know CODIS is, that's the DNA stuff, um, came back a match. They put a warrant out for him um, for the sexual assault, and they wanted me to testify. <laughs> they wanted me to testify. I'm like, dude, I told you guys a long time ago, I'll tell you what happened, but I'm not testifying, you is know? a gang member? Yes. Okay. Yes. It took about, so 2014 is when it happened. It was now 2018 okay. when all of this stuff. And um, I didn't ever think I was going to testify. Right. I mean, I thought he would, his life would catch up to him, like in drug dealing or whatever. And um, so I have a husband in prison, a, a new baby. I'm on probation. Now I got to testify. I got to suck all this up, but I can do it because, hey, I'm, I'm just that good, right? I, I don't know what psychologically happens when you hit that much trauma, you know, and, um, or in postpartum. Used to it that it's just when something as good is happening, you don't know how to accept it. But when the bad stuff is happening, you're yeah. probably just kind of, yeah, you're probably yeah. okay with it. Yeah, at this time, I thought I had this wonderful husband who, um, loved me and maybe at one time he did. I, I don't, I don't know now things have changed obviously, but, um, uh, so 2018, they start putting these court dates out for this, uh, sexual assault trial. And, um, the game that a lot of people play that are in these situations is they push court dates out. Oh, I can't do this court date. And they push it out because they know, you know, he pushed it out to trial. So every time I get ready, I think I'm going to be testifying. This guy would push the trial out. So all at the same time, I'm doing probation. I've got a new baby at home. I've got a husband in prison. I, I'm just like doing all this crap. And um, 2019, finally, he couldn't push the trial out anymore. I think he thought I wasn't going to show up is what it was. But um, I couldn't go on letting this guy continue to do this and, and letting other women die or suffer because I couldn't live it. I couldn't do it with my conscience. You know, I couldn't be like, I was weak. I was scared, but I'm not going to lie. Like I was scared to death when this whole trial was going on. Like he's going to, he, he's going to find me and kill me. Some of his friends know where I live. He's going to kill my baby. He's going to kill my family, you know? Right. And, um, so 2019 I had to, see this man I hadn't seen for four years sit like right face to face to him and um, they told me I'd be testifying for probably just like an hour it ended up being eight hours and I'm not shy about I knew they were going to bring out the drugs I, I'm not scared that's what it, it had to do with I went to go buy drugs and this stuff happened but under the stipulations of sexual assault or any sort of abuse it doesn't make it okay if somebody was using drugs it makes it actually worse and the fact that I had tried to take my life would have made him have a murder charge so um, you know I testified and did all that um, I made it off probation but I'd already pre-contemplated in my head I was going to relapse I had every justification in my brain you know um, and uh, actually was I off probation at that time? I'm sorry. Yes. Maybe I was. So, sorry, I was off probation. Um, 
but I didn't say, I mean, I didn't, I had to numb. I, I don't know. I don't know what anybody else would have done. I numbed that shit. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was difficult to sit in front of somebody. I felt like it was a reenactment of being a child is exactly how I felt when, uh, I was facing like the molester. I didn't have to testify as a child, but that's what it reminded me of. Like I was reliving this moment yeah. of facing somebody and um well, maybe this is your actually way of closure with him because you got closure with the other guy yeah um, yeah. And, yeah you know obviously in the beginning you, you, all the memories are coming back things that you didn't want to remember but now you can actually hopefully close the yeah. chapter on it by putting him in jail well i have a, a lot of yeah i don't know why my heart is so freaking nice and I, I i still i i don't know i don't know why i take these these horrific times and I never want anybody to suffer the way I did. I never want anybody in this whole world to feel as alone as I did or as empty or like nobody cared. Like that is like my mission in life. Whereas other people take these horrific events that happen to them and they project them out as hate onto the world and they hurt others because they hate what was done to them. And I do the exact opposite. So I don't understand why I guess it's just, free will or choice that we end up, you know, doing. And, um, so, um, you know, even though I was using, I wasn't using that much at this time, just enough to kind of numb myself a little bit, but I ended up, uh, cleaning up my credit and, um, thought, Hey, I'm going to move my family to Nebraska to get away from, you know, uh, that all that stuff in Colorado Springs and it'll be better here. We don't know anybody. I bought a house out here and, um, my husband, my last uh, ex-husband now, um, he had got out of prison last year. Well, right when I bought this house in March of last year, they called me with the verdict for the, um, for the, um, sexual assault. And I'll tell you, I never wish that upon anybody testifying. I, I still don't feel what maybe some people feel like a sense of empowerment. Not at all. I don't. You know, it's something I'll work through. But he got um, all counts, counts felony one, two, three, four, five, and six, and got a life sentence. Wow. And I felt like he got one for every woman that never was able to come forward or never had the, you know, courage to. And he wasn't the only one involved either, you know. And my defense to that was, I'm sorry, I didn't get everybody's ID when they came through the door, you know. And um, my fear also at that time was, what if somebody says he wasn't guilty to one of these things? Then what would I feel inside? You know, that's another scary thing when you're facing a a, a situation like this. What if if the jury said, not guilty to this one? Then I'd say it was my fault, right? Right. But that's a that's scary in itself, and at the same time, then it's like now this guy's going to die in prison. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's your fault too, but it's not my fault because he's the one that made the choice to do these actions, knowing it was wrong. He had no case. They had no case because he was not a good person, you know, because of whatever his father did to him. His father was a gang member, and I can only imagine the abuse that he had witnessed as a kid, you know, but in the end we still make a choice to either keep replaying the scene or changing something, you know? 
Right. That's what I don't understand. And like my whole life, I've, I've literally tried to study people. Like I am such a people watcher. I go to concerts and I, I, and I don't know if maybe you've experienced that too. Maybe it's a defense mechanism thinking like if I can figure out why people do bad things, maybe bad things won't happen to me. (laughs) Yeah. And I have not figured out that equation yet. Um, but so, um, so last year, yeah, my husband gets out of prison and, um, you know, didn't stay, didn't stay sober. He ends up just going on one and our little one gets taken away. He's in foster right now. Um, but luckily in December, this will be closing out and he'll be coming home. But my marriage definitely fell apart. Um, and my child was taken away because of this really very bad relationship. Now this one turned physical and very emotional. And I don't want to say, I, I don't, I think a lot of people use the word narcissist a lot, but I've never seen the games people play on phones. I didn't know people hide so much. I mean, the psychological abuse of somebody telling me, oh, you're creating shit from your, your, your diagnosis. Like you're making stuff up when I knew I wasn't, I am so good at reading people, but I'm so compassionate and loving that I'm willing to forgive them at the same time. That's how bad it is. You know, like someone, when I'm with somebody, like my heart is all in and that is my life. Right. And we will walk to hell and back together. That's the kind of person I am. Loyal as hell. But the problem is you find that this generation does a quick replacement. They don't want to work through hard times. They'll just go find somebody else on some site or something, you know? And uh, that's the heartache that I I, I just endured. Uh, He was younger than me, too. Yeah. You know, um... And I had to file protection order on this one. That was a hard thing to do because I can't heal. Not only am I grieving over loss after loss, like um, because of the pain that he pulled out of me, I realized that I hadn't healed through a damn thing I'd been through. I thought I had. I literally thought I had. So January of this year, I um, took a lethal uh and now, you know, people always have this stigma that if you use heroin, you inject it. And like everybody who's a heroin addict is a IV user. Okay. Well, that's not always, that's not true. Okay. There are people that smoke it and, um, you know, that's how I did it, but going through all this stuff. And, um, so in January I, um, tried to take my life and I, uh, took a, I had told my ex-husband, well, I'm, you know, it was my husband at the time, but I said, I'm going to kill myself. I said, give me a syringe. And he says, no. And I said, do you want a bag of dope? And he literally gave me a syringe for a bag of dope. And that's how much my life was worth, right? That was all the confirmation I needed. Right. Mm. And um, so I took a, uh, a full syringe of, you know, some decent heroin. And this is where, you know, this NDE thing comes in. I crap you not, like, 
I knew where I was going. Like I knew I was going home and, um, you know, now becoming part of this community of NDEs or whatever, I'm not losing my mind because how did other people experience this? No matter what their near death was, how do we all have a similar thing going on? Well, to me, it looked like some planet. Um, you know, there's grass and there was a guy in like this brown toga and purple sash. I knew I was home. And it was like, I could see, it's like my body was like pixelated, but like I had form, but not like human form. But I sure as hell had my personality. I'll tell you that. Hmm. And the guy had a clipboard. And I do believe in, I do believe my life is written out. It has felt that way. I felt like I was supposed to go on a horrific mission. And now either that's, you want to say psychological or whatever, I don't care because it's helping me heal. So, um, I was told, you know, I said, don't you say it. And the guy told me up there, Lindsay, you got to go back. And then all of a sudden I'm back in my body and there's vomit everywhere on the ground. And I knew I, yeah, I knew I, well, at least I tried to kill myself and I did, but I'm not supposed to die. And corporate stepped in to tell me you ain't going nowhere. You know, um, and so once again, um, <laughs> when it's not your time, it's like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? You know, um, I was spiritual before this, right? Mm-hmm. After the head injury, when something changed inside of me, it's like I got connected to something else. Like, and my belief system is totally different. Like, I do believe in these frequencies, vibrations, consciousness, and all this. Why? Because I've experienced it, and I've, I've experienced other things that other people have experienced, and we're not all mass hallucinating. Okay, so something did something, and um, now this was the hardest lesson to learn, but it wasn't just, somebody told me, you don't have 500 problems, you have one problem, that was drugs. I was like, you know, that sounds pretty good, you know, um, but also relationships. Um, this one hurt the worst. This one absolutely hurt the worst. And, um, you know, um, but it's, it's like it had to happen so I could actually wake my butt up and start realizing that I had a lot more healing to do. So I do EMDR, which um, I really, it really does do something to the brain. You know, I, this relationship hurt not because of the, it hurt because he couldn't value my worth. That's what my mindset changed. I'm not a bad person. I didn't deserve bad things to happen to me. I didn't go out searching for more trauma, even though we all know that trauma leads to a lot more trauma and trauma. Don't act like I, you know, don't, I didn't go searching for, Hey, come trauma, come find me. Let me, let me try to recreate this. No, you know, but it's an experience I, I, I went through. I don't choose to live there. Mm-hmm. I choose to go forward with it. And I have now come across a community of 
just really intriguing, uh, you know, psychics and people on the spiritual level that I am, because whether it be the head injury that did it or whatever, something changed inside of me. And I am on this internal mission for to, to get to the root. I feel like <laughs> I got this, this is a quote in that movie Labyrinth I told you to watch, but he says sometimes the way forward is sometimes the way back. And I do believe that you have to go all the way back in time, you know, to the beginning to figure out what happened and, and kind of unravel all these knots to figure out your, 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 who you are, right. you know, so how, how long and have you been sober? Six months this month. Wow, that's awesome. Yes. You feel good? And I do. I do. I mean, I've even managed to go through a divorce. Now, uh, a divorce and all this other stuff, and I still stay sober. One thing I recommend for anybody that struggles with uh, opiate addiction is a Vivitrol shot. A lot of people know about Suboxone and all that, but... Um, I take the Vivitrol shot. It's a once a mo- once a month shot, mm-hmm. and it really helps me. Like I don't even think about the stuff. I don't even think about the crap. And even if you were to use, like it wouldn't, it wouldn't do anything. Right. And um, I don't like Suboxone because once I knew Suboxone stole on the streets and traded for drugs, it's a no go for me. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I just feel like that's another addiction. You just replace it like a methadone. Not to say that it don't help, and if it does help for someone, good for them. But you're just replacing one addiction with another. Right. You know. Um, and so I just don't feel like you're accomplishing, huh? Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I just want to, so kind of, to kind of wrap up a little bit here, like, what, what are you up to, like, this current moment, and, you know, what do you feel like is the, the future, like, what lies next for you? Um, this current moment, I, I just, I feel like my... I don't know if you want to say purpose or mission. Well, I mean, I, I do internally healing stuff. Um, you know, I go to, I go to groups and, and therapy and all that, but, um, I feel like I've had such a story that I'm meant to share this story. And I don't know what that does. I might never meet somebody who it helps them in some way because I'm not scared to, to be real with what I've experienced and, and, and all that. I don't want to live in guilt and shame anymore. I just, that's like my mission by, by me healing and then being able and vulnerable to share my story. Maybe that helps somebody. And then that helps me heal as well. You know? Yeah. That's so like, that's the mission. When you were young, where you were avoiding, mm-hmm. avoiding conversating about your problems. And now you, I finally have a voice. I finally have turned my darkness into strength. Those dark times made me strong, have made me, I still have fears, but more fearless, you know. I have boundaries. Um, I have hopes. I have visions and goals, and I still remain that caring, loving person, and I have self-worth and value, and I think I'm an awesome person, and if I wish to go back and change any one of those experiences. It would have changed maybe who I am now. And I actually like who I'm becoming. So it's shitty as it might say, I 
I can't change any of those moments with any person I've ever met or anything because I think I'm an incredible person. I think I'm a loving and beautiful person. And it's because of that. And I think sometimes the only way to get like really to the light is you have to walk through the darkness, you know? Yeah. I mean, I kind of said a little bit to you the other night, but yeah, when I, when I first, you know, when you said yes to talking on the phone and yeah, I knew I was going to instantly like you because you, you know, you, you can tell that there's a lot of, you know, damage there and all, but you were, I don't know, you were still smiling and and you were still just laughing and having fun and and where you, you you shouldn't be that way. Like you should be suicidal. You should still be just saying fuck life and all that, but you were still so positive still. And and you were just, you know, very, uh, I mean, it's very inspiring, but also, like I said, your strength came through in the conversation. Uh, you know, I knew you were a person I was going to keep in touch with forever because you, you just, like I said, it's, you don't meet many people that have been through anywhere near what you've been through, but that are still going. Um, and it's, like I said, it's very amazing. And, you know, I mean, look, you're a very beautiful woman outside, but, you know, internally, like, <laughs> what you've, you know, like how you're still this person is actually completely impossible. And, you know, I'm just, I'm very happy. It's amazing. We're just very it happy amazes, to tell your story. Yeah, thank you. And it, it amazes me how far I've, I've, I've come. And I'm still obviously alive to even tell anybody my story. And I still hold my good composure. And, um, you know, it's crazy that I, I have found value and worth and self-esteem out of all of this, you know? Because at one time, like, I was in such a dark place you could never if somebody told me like list five things you like about yourself and all these things you don't like about yourself I couldn't name two things I liked about myself right now I can give you a long list of great things like I think I'm an incredible person with honesty and loyalty and love and compassion and I'm I think I'm funny I mean you know but I'm real Right. And I can't say that I've met so many people like that because everybody wears a mask mm-hmm. and they're That's scared fun. to be who they are. And I'm not, right. That's, this that's... is me and this is my story. And if, if you don't like it or care for it, then that's because you don't like something about yourself. Really? Right. And that, again, that's you know, what I said to you off mic, just when we were talking the other night, cause it was just, like, know. it was just like, Oh, this is like, you're just honest and there's no, like I'm waiting for you to kind of censor yourself and you're not. Uh, that's even why I said what I said in the beginning of your podcast. I'm like, she's going to say some very honest shit and it's going to come off however you want it to come off. But, you know, there's not many people out here that are just going to be this vulnerable and naked and just raw and just say, here, this is everything that I've been through. I'm not going to sugarcoat one that I have what I've been through, but also the dumb mistakes that I made. You know, you're, you're also, you know, putting yourself in into blame for some of the things you've been through, even though, you know, a lot of it, you know, there's no one deserves to be raped or or any of that, but you know, you, you know, like I said, you you put every element out there and there's no, you know, again, people are going to listen and, and, you know, people are going to hear your story, whether it's through this podcast or someone else's or wherever, and they're going to just go, she's crazy or she's a drug ass. She's all, again, they don't understand you. They don't know your story. and, And it only takes people who have just been through a lot of shit like me that just go like, yeah, like she's amazing. And, um, and like I like I always say, just you know, 
I don't believe anybody has the right to judge unless you've literally walked through somebody else's shoes and felt the pain and internal struggles that they have dealt with that nobody has the right to judge them. And if you are judging them, you honestly hate something or lack something in yourself. And I truly believe that if there's something that somebody says and, and, or if I think someone is being nasty or something, it's really because maybe there's something in me that's off, you know, it's not them. It's something that it reflects in me that I don't like. So, I mean, you can't judge anybody else. I mean, unless you've, unless you've been there. Yep. It's, it's just not fair. Like keep your nasty, not yours, but like nasty remarks to yourself because you don't know what the hell I've walked through. Right. No, how, no matter how much you can explain it, you can't, it's kind of like a dream. Like you'll wake up from a dream that if you explained it to somebody, it doesn't sound that scary uh, or it doesn't sound yeah. that, you know, exciting or whatever. But the, the feeling that you get from when you come out of it, you're, you're shaking, or you're sweating. And it might not, again, on, on the surface, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it's just the tone of the dream. And the same thing if you're yeah. explaining your life, like, yes, it, it's dark and, you know, there's a lot of horrific things in there, but, you know, you still didn't go through the physical pain. You didn't go through the mental, you know, you sitting in a parking lot bleeding and, and, and just coming to turn. Yeah. You didn't go through just being so scared and, and, and vulnerable that, you know, like I said, you can explain the basics, but you can't really explain the, the feeling and the tone of it. Yeah. And I'm not here by all means. I go through those dark moments, just like, I, you know, you were listening to your thing on, on Facebook and how you're just talking about your thoughts. And and I, I get in those moments, too. Like, I, I get scared to walk outside of the house and I... I want to be around people, but I don't want to be around people, but I do want to be around people. And, you know, like yeah. I, it's just so many uh, contradictions in my brain and, and I, I want them to shut up half the time. And, and um, you know, but like I said, I am only growing from here, you know, and I become more wiser and, um, I think I'm a totally beautiful person. I think um, inside and out, I really do believe that. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm, you are too. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, That's podmatch dot com. Okay. Hell yeah, baby! So, that, you know, you know the, the, the thought that just crossed my mind is like dark and so silly. I was just like, you know, I should just ask her to legally marry me so she can't get married to the assholes again. <laughs> You don't even have to meet up. You just be married. You can't legally ever get married to any drug addicts or anyone shitty again. Oh. Um, hey, you're not so bad looking yourself. So. I, I appreciate it. Um, so. But yeah, can we, let's let's wrap this up and and you know. Okay. Obviously, like I said, we're gonna stay in touch and keep talking and yeah. You know, anything you need, you need someone to talk to when you're going through your shit. Just please know I'm here. Um, okay. And uh, like I said, you know, like I said, you know, trauma is trauma. And the only way you get through it is hopefully finding people that are like minded and have been through similar shit and just can be there for each other. Because, you know, as we said about the brain, you know, when you're going through the worst of times and when you need someone to text or call you and I have good friends, I have good people in my life, but they never seem to want to message me when I'm in the darkest places. And and I, I hate being like so. Uh, you feel so weak when you're just like, help me, help me. But yes, you know, yep. 
And so you know, I try to make sure everyone in my circle knows that, you know, I'm always here. Like, don't be afraid to ask me. And I, I put that on you as well. Like, please, you need somebody just, you know, we're going to talk regardless. But I mean, even when you're in your shittiest times, please just get a hold of me. And But you call me first because, see, I'm still in that mentality. I've been everybody else's savior. And, like, it's hard. It's still hard to reach out for help, you know. Like, um, I have the mentality I'm so strong. Yeah. And I, and when I get into those moments, it's, it's, it's still, it's still tough. I just have my parents, like my parents are my main support and that's about it. And I get scared of other people's intentions sometimes. Like, you know, in my town, like I, I, I just get scared of people, I guess, you know, I'm scared. No, I don't blame you. I trust me. I, so. I, I, it's hard for me to let people in and I always do. And, and, you know, I go back and forth with it. I'm always just, I'm trying, you know, I, I get the trying to be overly nice and, and you get fucked over so many times and it, it's, but if you stop being nice, you know, it, it, your life is going to be different. You're not going to get good things in your life. There's a lot of good things that have come from me being kind and it's just, you can't This stop. is my niceness. This is my way. I mean, I'm already nice as it is, but this is my way of giving you know nothing to gain nothing to gain for me i luckily life has set me up to where i don't need to work anymore you know but i just never want somebody to feel like they're in the dark ever or that they're ashamed of who they are or i just don't absolutely um okay i need to wrap it up now yeah we've been doing this for two hours um sorry no no you're please i I, i'd rather you be you and we share the full story i don't want to you know some people well why don't you put into two parts no i don't because where am i going to cut it where where am i going to put the second like we're going to start with the first molestation then the second will be this fuck that i'm just going to do the whole thing you listen to when you listen to a good thing with these you could pause and play and rewind and fast forward and so on and so yeah everyone has the luxury yeah. just you know the luxury is that you didn't have to go through this story all you gotta do is listen to it so you didn't, yeah. you didn't have to go through it it's her story and you know she's still standing she's still smiling and laughing and um <laughs> you know and she's she for everything she's been through she's still a catch of a person and uh so <laughs> i appreciate you for doing this and um you know, we'll, uh, we'll keep in touch. I mean, we'll probably talk right. very shortly, but I mean, I'm just saying in general, just, you know, keep your head up, keep going, doing what you're doing. And down the road, maybe we can do an update episode, you know, like a year or so down the road when you're still yeah. sober and, uh, let everybody know yeah. how well you're doing and, you know, uh, you know, so yeah, please, please keep doing good and, and stay on the same path. And, uh, like I said, I have a lot of love for you. I'm glad you're doing so well and, uh, yeah, just please take care. All right. Alright, bye. Bye. Alright, guys. Uh, yeah, that was a long journey. Uh, <laughs> that's going to take a lot out of me. Uh, I heard a lot of her story. I didn't know all of it. and um, Man, it's there's a lot to unpack. And, uh, but I'm grateful to know her. And... Um, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just. I'm. It, I'm not saying. I don't want to say I'm in shock because you know I, I've heard a lot of crazy shit. I've seen a lot of crazy shit. I've been through a lot of crazy. Shit. Um, but it, but it's, it's just one of those where it just it hits you and then you kind of, kind of now dealing with it. Um, and I'm just so happy that she's doing much better. Um, maybe to some people that's not doing better because she's still susceptible to everything that she just went through. But I believe in her. I believe she's gonna do better. Um, 
like I said, I had such a real raw conversation with her the other night and it, it just, I knew I was meant to meet her and I knew that, you know, we were going to be friends for a long time. So, um, cheers to her and her sobriety and, and everything, um, that's going to come down her path next. Uh, I hope it's nothing but good things. And if I can make anything easier on her, I will definitely try. I don't just say that just cause it sounds good on the mic. Cause people say a lot of corny shit that they don't mean. And, um, I try to be there for everybody I've interviewed and just people I haven't that I genuinely love and it's taxing. Uh, but I will try to take as much pain and sorrow off of people as much as I can. And, and I'll try to bear it as much as I can. So I don't know guys. Um, like I said, I hope, uh, I hope you're all doing well out there. Please look out for each other. And if you hear some of these sad, horrible stories that people are going through and try to help be the one person that can save another. So see you guys later.